Let's face it, running a construction company can be chaotic. As business owners, we wear a lot of hats and we're constantly putting out fires. Luckily, there's a way to work simpler with Builder Trend. I'm a huge advocate for using technology to help run AFT, and Builder Trend is one of the most crucial tools I rely on to keep me on top of every detail. Built just for home builders and remodelers, this is an easy to use platform that helps manage all aspects of my business. My team's been using Builder Trend's project management platform for the last five years. And we love that they're always improving and adding new features to make our lives easier. This is something that we've really tried to take on internally to find ways to improve our system every day. Build a Trend just released a full set of financial services, added new tools like Takeoff to make estimates more accurate, and launched a total rebrand with a new mission to help change the future of construction. And we are on board. To learn more about how Build a Trend can help calm the chaos in your construction business, Visit buildatrend.com backslash AFT. When you schedule a demo, you'll receive an exclusive 60-day money-back guarantee only available to my podcast listeners. I'm following Build a Trend into the future in construction. Come on board with us. We are just a few months away from the Contractors Coalition Summit here in Scottsdale, Arizona. It'll begin on Sunday, May 7th and complete on Wednesday, May 10th. We had two events that were completely sold out last year. The first one in Nashville, second one in Huntington Beach with Nick Schiffer from NS Builders and Morgan Molitor from Construction of Style. Again, make sure that you get out to Scottsdale. It's going to be an amazing event. We only have a few seats left, and we're going to be speaking about all things pricing, project management, how to make money inside and outside of your business, You know, contracts, client expectations, building that organization, and again, just the marketing aspect, social media. One of the most amazing values of this conference is not only the content that's produced and a lot of the information that's handed out to those that attend, but also the networking, being there with 30 like-minded builders around the country, being able to have a, someone to contact and reach out to on any questions you have moving forward. It is an amazing event. Hurry and sign up. Again, www.contractorscoalitionsummit.com. We'll see you in May. I was in a crawl space, dark, damp, spider-infested crawl space. And I had so many emails and texts. I'm like, I can't go back up there. Like I can't be caught by my trades and answer all the questions and go through things right now. And I just stayed under there with my head on a cinder block behind me, just emailing and catching up on all the text messages. I'm like, I think maybe this is the point where you say it's time to hire someone. I think this is a warning sign right here. So welcome to the AT Construction Podcast, and we have Meg Billings on today. Welcome, Meg. Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on. So Meg is owner and founder of Meg Construction, and you're located up in Idaho, and we actually met at the Coalition Summit, the Contractors Coalition Summit. Um, but I've been fascinated following you and your build and the team and just the amazing work you've been doing. I know that uh, you're working with some brands similar to me now and, you know, from uh, being at the builder show. So let me ask, maybe we start here being a woman in construction, being a woman in construction, specifically woman <laughs> um, but business owner, what drew you into even coming into construction? Oh man, the smell of the sawdust. I tell everyone that <laughs> like I grew up, my parents were always building my parents or my mom would redesign floor plans and send those out and give my dad all sorts of tasks. So we grew up building cabins or this and that, but not like anything professional, but I loved it and didn't like realize this is what I'd go into. I did manufacturing engineering. So kind of a similar feel and conversation or vocabulary. And I love the architecture side of it. Still didn't think uh, I'll go be a home builder until we built our own house and I did all the design on it. I ran it through Revit, just loved every step of the process. And I'm like, well, let's do this again. That was, that was amazing. That's amazing. So you actually worked on the design of your own personal home. Yeah, it was kind of a crazy situation. Our builder got really sick. And so I got to step in and do a lot of those roles and carry the house through from foundation all the way to the end. So it, it was awesome. So how do you, okay, this is a little mind blowing as I, as I think through this. So if, if you and your family are looking at building a home, you have a builder, sounds like some things transpired, right? How, how do you even have, I, I don't want to say the courage, but the know-how, I mean, everything just to say, okay, I'm going to go on and take on this task to, to take it from design and then finish construction. 
Oh, overconfidence. I, I don't know what <laughs> happened there. There wasn't much of a choice. Like, and maybe now that I know more, there were some other things I could have done, but I just kind of dug in. I would take my little boys and throw them in the Chick-fil-A playhouse and hide in the back corner on my laptop and just go to work in a lot of, oh, how do you, you know, what happens before framing, what happens after framing and trying to make those connections and what subs to call and um, getting things organized. So not only are you working in design, but you're also managing, you're playing superintendent for the build. Yeah. Yeah, I really was. And it was such a blessing because I got to know all the trades and it's just such a hard thing in Twin Falls, Idaho, where we're at to be able to get a good team of subs. They all moved out in 2008 and we just didn't get them back like other areas did. So it was super hard, but really great because I did meet a lot of really established trades because I was kind of walking in the shoes of uh, our contractor. And so I got to meet them and we don't use all of those trades still, but they were super great about being like, I can't, I'm too busy, but talk to my friend Joe and he'll help you out with this or that. And so it was like a huge foot in the door to being able to do it on my own and start my own business. Did you have any experience in Revit previously? Uh, we did that in, in college. So that was part of my degree. It's manufacturing engineering, but you get a lot of architecture kind of threaded in there. Interesting. I was going to ask how you had a background in Revit because I, I took a little bit in college. Um, you know, we had like an SMA in drafting class and stuff, but yeah. I didn't, I, I should say I didn't pay enough attention. I really didn't focus on much on that class as I probably should have as others because I think Revit would be really helpful for me now. Uh, yeah. To some extent, but you know, you know, we use Bluebeam, and we're not really getting into the CAD and details and stuff. But, um, but I would imagine that you know, what was the learning curve from just the college application of Revit to real life application of Revit? Oh man, I um, I sound cooler than I really was. It's more like you're saying in in college you get an education that like teaches you where to find the information pretty much. Like you don't come out being a professional at Revit or design or construction, like there's just so much to learn on the job. And so I fumbled and it was awkward and we had some help on it with some of the technical background of it. And people ask me all the time, am I the one designing our homes now? And there's no way, like if you're going to live in a program that big, that's, that's the only way to be able to move around like you need to. It's, it's just a beast of a program. Yeah, there's a lot to it, but it's really cool. I mean, there's a lot of amazing functions with Revit. And I know some of our, you know, design team that we're working with use it, you know, exclusively for their projects. For, for you, Meg, I mean, just thinking about this. Okay, so you're manufacturing, you're in college, you know, haven't built a house. You're you're now thrown into the fire, right? Trying to figure this out. Were you just doing research there in Chick-fil-A to figure out, okay, how do we build a schedule? How do we figure out a timeline? Who goes after who? <laughs> How, how helpful were the trades? Because, I, I mean, I think in this, I mean, you mentioned Twin Falls, you, your trade base was maybe a little limited. Even in a city like Phoenix, we had the same issue. In 2008, everyone moved out of town. You know, we've had some core people here, but it's a big city, but it's still limited on labor, which I'd imagine is still the same case for you. Yeah, there were a lot of researching and not all the research was great because different areas do things differently not only like geographically with climates and that kind of thing, but also just our trades do things sometimes differently than they do in other areas or our city requires different things. And so some of my online training wasn't the best or research wasn't the best, but the trades are really where I was able to get that knowledge I needed. And I would just be obnoxious asking way too many questions, just, like, tell me who's next and what do they need? And, you know, what questions do I need to have for them before they come in? And I'd always ask, like, how did the guy do before you? Because I didn't know enough on quality control to be like, man, that framer was the worst. None of these walls are plumb. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you better believe the trade after that trade is super open to discussing what he thinks of the quality. Well, it's interesting you say that, you know, one discussion I often have with our team, especially our supers is, 
for whatever reason, a lot of us, because maybe we're in the management sector, I mean, you are too, Meg, you're running your house. Now you have your own company, which we'll get into. But even for me, it's when you're managing something, you feel as if you should be the expert and you should know everything because mm-hmm. you're directing, um, you know, the project, the scope, the budget, you know, the, the trade partners. And so not all of them, but on occasion, you know, sometimes they'll act like they know or maybe they don't know. And so they end up going the wrong direction. Right. And whether you call it humility or just being, being willing to ask, right. How, how difficult was it for you to just get through that and say, look, I, I'm just going to be open. I'm learning this, help me out. You know, how advantageous was it just to have that mentality going into it? Oh, it was, it was huge. I would never have been able to get people on the team also. Like, I think they were willing to help out because they knew I wasn't trying to come in and acting like I didn't know or acting like I knew everything. And so I think that was big for that. And then there was no other way to get the knowledge that I really needed. Um, it, it wasn't easy. Like I don't love not knowing everything. I I'm sure other people can, uh, can maybe feel the same way, but it wasn't so bad on that first. It wasn't bad at all on the first one. Cause I wasn't expected to know it. And then my first one out with my official license, I still felt very comfortable doing that. But that second round, I'm like, I can't make mistakes now. I should know all the answers. And anyone who's been in construction knows you don't know all the answers. Like every home has issues and different things. And so we've we've just really learned to lean on our trades. If we've got amazing guys in there and I can ask and lean on their 25 years of experience, it, it just is a game changer. So maybe fast forward to now and we'll kind of break this down, but with the trade base you have now, are a lot of the same trades ones that work with you from the very beginning on your personal house? No, actually things have kind of grown and changed and, you know, COVID hit and trades got even crazier, hard to find. And so we did some shuffling around then and now we're coming out of it and our company just looks a lot different. We're building these bigger homes that need crews of bigger sizes and, we're doing some detail work that some of them didn't want to pursue. You know, they'd rather get through a, a small house really quick and move on to the next. So I think we use about a quarter of them and the rest have kind of filtered in as we've learned and grown. That's amazing. So after you finish your first house, what, when, when you're working through it, did you always have plans that you're going to start May construction or did, was that something you're like, Hey, I actually really like this. <laughs> I, this is so funny. I really did love it. Like I complained a lot while we were going through it and it was, it was a little intense. And I even ran into our builder maybe three months later in Costco. And I'm like, just hire me as your superintendent. Like I just, I love it so much. Just let me come work for you. And he awkwardly laughed and said, uh, okay. And kept walking. And, um, I actually went and had kind of a crazy back surgery. So immediately after finishing our house, like days, uh, flew to Texas and they had to do a prosthetic disc replacement. And so that had me down and out for um, like six months probably, or just wow. not, not ready to start a business. Like I wasn't like mm-hmm. down and out for six months, but it was a big deal and an amazing surgery. So couldn't say enough about that, but there was a little bit of time in there before I was like, okay, I'm ready now. Like, let's, let's do this for real. So then after the surgery, and was this related to basketball days? Cause you played college <laughs> basketball, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it was partially genetics, partially way too many sports. Like one spine can only take so many practices. Yeah. <laughs> and not to sidetrack, but back pain is the worst, right? It's funny. Oh. Cause I just... Yeah, I just did a podcast with Brandon. He's like a spine specialist, you know, and it, different than like a tr- traditional chiropractor. And um, he he works on a lot of athletes, so he worked on my back because I started having some lower back issues. And you, you don't realize how valuable your back is until it goes out and you're dealing with a lot of pain because it really inhibits you from doing anything. Oh, it's it's the worst. I would not wish that on anyone. And so grateful that I'm not dealing with that day in and day out anymore. So pain-free from the surgery? Everything's good with the back? 
Oh man, it's incredible. I can do anything I want. Like there's no restrictions and I like, I'm still, I'm still human. Like I'm partially Terminator, but still a little bit human. <laughs> so if I sit too long or, you know, do something dumb, it'll hurt me just like it would hurt anyone else. But yeah, yeah nerve stuff, all of that completely gone. Yes. And nerve issues that, that become a problem, you know, as the muscles flare and stuff and can be super painful. So what does the company look like now? I was going to ask uh, how many females are in the company, but maybe I should ask, are there any males, right? <laughs> so right now we have five females in the company, which is awesome. And people seem to love that, like an all female team, but we may have to hire some gross boys and like take down our girls only sign here pretty soon. <laughs> oh, I, I just, what's that? Why is that? <laughs> well, I never intended it to be women only. I absolutely love it, but I don't think legally you can say that either, that um, that's what you're going for. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, we have to be careful anymore. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to discriminate. Yeah. But um, my husband actually is coming on to the team. So he's. Yeah, there will be a stinky boy in our office. <laughs> that's, I hope he listens to that. That's pretty good. Uh, so, so what do you plan for? Him? So, what's his role going to be? I mean, as you start thinking about roles and you know, growing to five employees now, I mean, of course, that's a big step from you just starting your company. How how does that work to understand just the d delineation of who's responsible for what and you know that baton who who holds it and, and at what time? Yeah, we're struggling with this right now, if I'm being honest. we um, So Tyler has a major business background. I He did physical therapy, which maybe doesn't sound like a major business background, but him and his partner went to every course you could ever imagine. And they've done every step and they've grown their business from the two of wow. them to 18 clinics. So They've kind of seen businesses go and other businesses they've done, but go from being super small to up to a point where like you just have to have systems and everything laid out. So we're going through our org chart right now and doing exactly what you're saying, figuring out like how these jobs pan out. And there's a lot of different options in construction for how you can make that look, which uh, makes it a little harder. Like I, it's not just do this, hire this next person and then do this because every company looks a little different. So, um, we're struggling through that right now and trying to make sure that the right people are in the right seats. And we're kind of doing multiple roles at once right now. Cause there's five of us. So how did, when did you know it's time to make your first hire? <laughs> I, um, I was in the, in a crawl space dark, damp, <laughs> spider infested crawl space. And I had so many emails and texts. I'm like, I can't go back up there. Like I can't be caught by my trades and answer all the questions and go through things right now. And I just stayed under there with my head on a cinder block behind me, just emailing and catching up on all the text messages. I'm like, I think maybe this is the point where you say it's time to hire someone. I think this is a warning sign right here. I, I, I love that, just uh, that image, if you will, because I think many people are like, well, when's the right time to hire? Do I have enough work? You know, and you're thinking about, you know, all the hats you're wearing as an entrepreneur and starting out and you're in a crawl space, just like, okay, I'm going to sit here laying against a center block and then I'm just catch up on emails. And that's your, that's your like aha moment that you need to hire. Yeah. <laughs> So how did you make the hire? How did, how did you find someone? Oh man. Um, I actually, there was a city inspector that I had worked with a lot. And as an inspector, the trades aren't supposed to like you, like you're the bad guy or the police and everyone loved her and she knew her stuff like in and out way better than me, like framing knowledge, all of that. And so it just happened that she was coming out of that role as I was crawling out of that crawl space. That's amazing. So, and then when, when she was first hired, how did you determine kind of the, again, just when there were two of you, how did you figure out who would be doing what? Oh yeah. So she was so good at the job site stuff and knowing the subs or the trades. And so I handed off all the superintendent roles pretty quickly. And I had, uh, on that very first house, like I documented every single step 
And so I gave her, like I handed her builder trend and said, Here, here's your step-by-step process, go through here. And you can read it and like hear every mistake I made. Like just every time there was a problem, I'll, I'll add in there, like make sure you do this before the painters get there and all of those different things. And so she was luckily like such a self-starter. I think you've talked about that before. Like maybe I'm not the best at training people because I waited too long to hire. And so I'm just like throwing it at them. And so she, she just grabbed the bull by the horns and started calling people. And it's, um, that was really great. And then I took like the client side and the business side and overseeing like major schedules and planning that out. So before you hired her, when you're in the crawl space, maybe take us back there. So six months, you know, uh, you, you're out with the back surgery. You decide to start making construction. Um, did you immediately have clients that you're starting to work with? Were you doing spec homes development? Kind of what was your kickoff moment? Ooh, I did not want to fail in front of anyone. So I started with a spec home out in little Kimberly, hoping that no one would notice what was happening. And I just, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know if I could do it. And like half of my brain would look at and other people and say, well, if that guy can do it, like I can do it. (laughs) And then the other half would be like, oh, this could easily go wrong pretty quickly. And so I, I started with a spec. Things were selling well. Like I didn't think it was a huge risk, but it was definitely, I didn't want a client to start out with for sure. And so, yeah, we just took that on a little starter home and walked through all the way from very beginning to end. And then, um, it went really well. I, I went insane. If I lose $30,000, that's my college education, like four year degree, I'll pay for it. Like, let's just do this. I can't like wait any longer or try and research anymore. Like it's, it's time to actually do it. And we ended up making like 20,000 and that was right as the COVID panic started. So just a great, um, it was great. You kind of just have to jump in with building. At some point, you got to gain experience. Yeah, I love that perspective. I mean, when you think about Lost Leader, and you know, I, I think oftentimes us as builders, um, you know, ideally we want to get to the point where we're making profit, man. That's all, the whole reason that we're <laughs> in business, right? But there is a step there where there may be projects we take or experiences we're chasing that there may be a cost, right? Whatever that may be, opportunity cost or maybe actual dollar cost. Um, but to your point, the great application there, Meg, is that, uh, you're going to pay to go to college, right? You're going to pay to go invest in yourself, whether it be through a formal degree or just other ways of training. And so this is just an accelerated way to not only learn, as you mentioned, we're doing a spec home. It's great. You know, so many people come on the podcast and like, Brad, if I were to start my company today, what would I do? And the easiest thing is that answer that if you can go do a spec home, One, like you're saying, Meg, you're going to get the experience and you're not going to go through this and get some of the bumps and bruises out of the way as you're going through the build, but you're going to have a sign up. You're going to have credibility. You're going to have marketing material. You're going to have a resume already, you know, because a lot of people won't hire you until you built a home. Well, how can you get that first job unless you've done one? So it's kind of that chicken and egg thing. So there's a lot of value to build on spec. Looking at that decision now, how has that played a role to catapult to where you are today by doing that spec home? Oh, I mean, everything came from there. That was the the main start. We And that money we made from it, we helped fund to do two at a time. So that felt a little more like a business, like, okay, this, like, we've got to do this. And so we just leveled up there. And I think doing specs was really great for us for our area because we were able to control the design. Um, we're in an area where design isn't that important. Like if you can build the same brown stucco house really quick, make a lot of money. Why would you do a crazy 1212 and change up materials? And so those spec homes that we did at the beginning, like that first one was just to start a home and it was super cute, but very budget friendly. And then we started layering on more and more design. And I think that is really what set us apart from our competition is people were seeing us do something different that maybe if we had a client, we would have been able to, but clients have their own ideas and things they want. And so 
I think that helped us carve out our own little niche up in our area. There is. I mean, I would agree to that. I mean, I've only been to Idaho a couple of times, but the the product that you're putting in the market or at least been advertising through Instagram and, and showcasing is definitely different than a lot of the product that's up there. You know, did that help, uh, you know, help you to stand out as well? Oh, it's been huge. It's It's been huge. And I mean, I'm grateful that that's the case and that there weren't a ton of people doing other things. Like I, it made it come a little bit smoother, but we just did a parade home last year and the comments we got and being able to have clients come or prospective clients come through and see like, oh, this is what I'll get if we go with her, you know, uh, has just been a huge influence in our, our business and our growth. So as you're looking at this now, when, how many projects or spec homes did you self-perform before working with your first, you know, built a suit for a client? Um, we did five before we did our first, um, which I think was a pretty good number. We felt a lot more comfortable going into it with the building side. And then you have to go learn the client side. Like that's a whole nother kind of a ball game and how to communicate with them and work with what they're wanting and when to put your foot down and working within their budget and their, their decision-making. And so I I think it was great to have those under our belt so that we were learning one game instead of two. What does your pre-construction process look like? And, and what I mean by that is, so for, for example, in Arizona, you know, we're only doing build a suit. I don't, I don't have any spec homes right now, but here at AFT, you know, the client's going to acquire a lot, a lot of cases they come to us, you know, we're going to work with an architect and designer, work through that, you know, pricing, budgeting, and then get to permit. And then of course we take it through the build in, in your area. Are you helping acquire the land? You know, when are you integrated into the project when you have a client on the other side? We've actually been, in all the positions. So we do have a design studio. So that brings us clients from that side that want our designers, you know, picking all the finishes on the house and that kind of thing. So that helps bring them to us early. We've done some lots that we've had ourselves, but I think most of our clients come in with their own lot and then we're, we're making that, uh, work for them. We do really love to be in early. And so we, our architect or drafter, whoever we're working with, if they're local, we'll actually have them come into our office and they'll plug into our computer and have the client come in. And so we'll go through everything together. And it's, it's been really beneficial when we can be there early. And also it takes a little hustle game to catch up with the architect and the client, what they're wanting when we come in at the end, but it also takes a lot less time and you're not sitting through all those meetings where husband and wife are looking at each other like, wait, you want a basement? I didn't know we wanted a basement. Do we want a basement? (laughs) And just like changing everything. And so, um, yeah, we've kind of been at it from all sides. That's where you realize you're part psychiatrist and like marriage counselor as well. Oh, Man, no one needs a project management degree. Forget that. Go get your marriage, <laughs> you know, counseling degree. That's all you need. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. So let me ask you this. So with being that you have your own design studio, are you perf- um, performing the interior design on all of your projects? So we're self-performing. That's not me. Um, Mandy Hodges, she's been with me from the beginning. She's insanely talented and so fun and just decisive. Like having her by your side, making a million decisions is amazing. So I don't do it, but our company does. But you are essentially creating that service. You not individually, but as a company, you're organizing that structure and the the design Mm -hmm. aesthetic and the design book and everything you need to build. Yeah. Yep. All of that, which, um, is, it's, it's great. There's not, there is not another design studio in town. So it kind of sets us apart. Really? Yeah. So I was going to say, so when you say design studio, are you speaking that there's not really interior designers or even a place where they could go and you essentially have your own like design center showroom? So yeah, there's no design rooms. Like there's some women in town and they do a great job, but they're just kind of doing it out of the house here and there. But we're the only ones like we have everything in house. So every sample they could want 
every, you know, when you build in our area, the builder just says, here's your budgets, go talk to these companies and then let me know what you decide. <laughs> and so they're like driving all over town trying to get one sample. The quartz guys, like they will not let those samples out of their site. And so you're just making these decisions through the entire build process, which is stress upon stress. So we have brought everything into the studio and we do everything before we break ground so that, cause building stressful, it's messy, things go wrong. And if we can take all the decision fatigue out of that and have that done ahead of time, it just makes life so much better for everyone. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. They're, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. Well, it's fascinating you say that because I didn't anticipate taking this direction on the podcast having you on because, frankly, I didn't realize that you have your own design studio, that you're doing that. And so, you know, just pros of hiring a designer, there, there's, there's a lot of value, right? You think about just the time and... I can only imagine for, and as you mentioned, the designers are trying to do a good job, but for the clients working with a normal builder, what's really difficult when they're going to maybe a cabinet place and then the plumbing place for plumbing fixtures and then tile and countertop, you know, blending and making sure everything looks great in all areas of the home. That's really challenging. It just makes it more cohesive and like it takes all the change orders, not all the change orders. It makes change orders way better because they're not like, oh, three months ago, I thought I liked this, but now that I see this other thing that goes with it and it's, it's been really great for our clients. So as far as, you know, are you still doing specs? Or are you just doing build the suits now then? So we'll probably do one to two specs. I think a year is kind of what we're thinking right now. We just finished up our last one and then we have one other on the market. It was our parade home and I haven't dropped the price in six months because it has brought us so many clients. Just the fact of having a model home that we can take the clients through has been awesome. And so we're kind of thinking if we, um, had this great result from kind of a smaller model home that maybe we should sell a couple and build a model home that we keep for a couple of years. Well, it's interesting you say that. I do know a lot of builders that what, you know, because we're in the, in the industry, right? A lot of builders will build their own house, right? Their own personal home. I would imagine if you were to do your house now, it's going to be a little bit different than when you did it years ago, being that yeah. you have a lot of experience and knowledge and know-how, it's de the process is definitely much better, more refined. And plus you have more context, being realistic, right? You've built contacts and relationships. And so a lot of builders will build their own personal house with a lot of those details because it can serve as a model for their clientele. Yeah, I, I think that's a great call. We're um, developing some land and it will be ready here in just a couple months. And uh, I'm pretty excited about it. You were asking before about if the client comes to us for the land, and this would be one where hopefully that's bringing us more and more clientele and kind of a, a nicer area. And you're doing all the development? Are there like internally with May Construction? Yeah. Yep. 
It's and it's not a huge one. It's 14 lots, so nothing. That's a lot. That's not small, but it's not small. (laughs) But that's been really interesting and exciting. But thinking about that, like, should we build a personal home or should we do just an empty spec home? And I, Brad, you don't know my kids, but I don't know (laughs) if our house could ever be the show home. You know, it's funny you say that. I, I feel the same. I'm like, with my kids, I'm like, I tell my wife, I'm like, with our kids, everything is destroyed all the time. And I think anyone listening has kids can relate to that, that I can't ever keep the house nice because the kids just destroyed. And, you know, definitely like the cobbler, right? That's, you know, at home, I come home and Ash is like, are you going to fix this? What about this hole in the wall, you know, from my son's skateboard or, and it's just like, it piles up and she's just like, when are you going to fix this stuff? And I'm like, I don't know. So Maybe that's yeah. too much to share on the podcast, but it's definitely <laughs> something that I think a lot of people can relate with. The last thing I want to do is go fix something, you know, like I was just over the weekend, had to go to Home Depot and change some door hardware because, you know, it's falling apart, but it's just, it's one of those things. It just, it's, it's, that's the hard part of it, about being a builder. <laughs> it, it's so true. We, we've been in our home for six years now or five, eh, somewhere there. And I just hired a hire or a handyman finally. Like my husband's like, I can't take it anymore. You keep saying you know people, but half of our handles don't work. There are holes in every room. Um, yeah, so I just said, go at it. Just, you know, co- go through this whole house, fix everything you can find. Yeah, this summer I told my wife, I'm like, we just replaced the dishwasher. So just got that done. And again, here we go, to-do list, right? And but we're going to go back and get a bunch of repairs done. So I'm like, we'll finally get all these down. That way we can enjoy it. But um, so with with the 14 lots you have, um, kind of what's your game plan there, if you don't mind me asking, with you developing these, are, they, are you going to sell each of an individual lot? Is there going to be uh, an agreement where if they buy it, they have to build with you? Are you allowing other builders to come in there? Kind of how are you working through the development arm? So... It's a struggle. I've heard a lot of people say, like, when you do this, you have to wear your development hat, take that off, and then put on your de- your builder hat because the two don't get along very well. So the developer just wants to get them sold and you know, pay get off them the sold. bank. And, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, like it's smart, right? But then the builder side of me is like, well, if we get great clients and amazing homes, like, why would I let anyone else take these lots? And so it's been a struggle. We bounced back and forth. And especially when the market was like so amazing and crazy good. I'm like, there's no way I'm selling any of these. Like this will be a pure med construction uh, neighborhood here. And now things are slowing down a little bit. I think we're maybe a little more willing to let in someone else or some specific builders um, just to make sure we get the bank loan paid off and then you know, save the rest for ourselves. Yeah, it's tough. I I can relate because I do know a lot of builders that do keep them because it's great. It's great. Um, for, for lack of a better word, it's just, it's guaranteed, you know, backlog, right. For the, mm-hmm. for the company and project. So for May construction, you can have backlog, but as a developer, yeah, there's, there's costs, right. There's costs to develop and prep the lots and get utilities in there and have them all ready so that people can come in. And, uh, those costs are real and, and, and they accrue and they, you know, there's interest on them and it's just like a commercial <laughs> development. And so, but once you can get, you know, the principal paid off, then yes, then you may have, you know, some opportunity there where you can sit on a little bit longer, be a little bit more patient until the market dictates, dictates. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be really great. We do have some that are coming in where I think, oh, maybe we will just get both and then I won't have to play the game, but we're... What's the market looking like? I mean, in Twin Falls, with interest rates where they are, how's that impacted your market? Um, it has been kind of great for us. Like we do want to build these high-end homes, and the high-end homes are moving just as much as they were before. It's more that mid-level starter home that where people really need that interest rate to match up with their their personal finances, and so. We've actually had bigger homes coming in this year than we've had in the past. And I I know some of that's reputation, but also I think the market's still moving for those homes and not as much for the smaller ones. What size homes are people typically building there? Or at least what size homes are you building, Meg? 
Um, this year, most of ours are between 5,000 and we may have a 12,000 or we're still working on floor plans right now. So, um, bigger homes, like they're, they're fun. There'll be a, a great challenge on a few of them and some really great ones to build. And working with your clients, it sounds like you have quite a few projects, quite a few clients right now. Any, any lessons learned from that customer experience? We, we've um, learned all the tough lessons on the customer experience side. Um, I, on the good side, like the communication, we're, we're really good at that. And so we really try and lean into that and transparency, like if they can get into our software and they can see what they need to, that's, that's been really good. Um, picking clients. Now that's not so um, easy. We've learned a few lessons and we've learned a few lessons on making sure that contract signed and that deposits in before we put in a lot of time and effort. And um, yeah, we, we had one not too long ago that it hundred percent my fault, but I didn't get a deposit beforehand. I'm like, oh, like they're good. Like this will be a really exciting one. Like I just got caught up into kind of the the excitement of it. And they pulled out at the end and I had already moved over $4,000 worth of dirt, which I mean, oh, it's not a big yeah. deal, but, but still it is. Yeah. And they're like, mm, we're not going to pay for it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to spend 2000 more to get that dirt back now. Yeah. <laughs> so just like just the tough lessons you learn and learning to really have that system and procedure instead of going off of emotion or all of that. Yeah. I think that's really good counsel and a good lesson. I, you know, I think anyone listening has been guilty. I mean, I have as well guilty of moving to quickly on a project or justifying maybe the relationship with the client or, or, you know, how well you know them or how important the project may be to the portfolio. I mean, there's so many different nuances to this, right? To our business development and construction. And so you start justifying things and you get too far down the road and then <laughs> something may change and alter and it really affects the business. And case in point, we have a client right now that um, just, just to be formal. So for us, you know, we've gotten really formal with time cards, right? So just understanding, especially being cost plus, like how we're tracking our time. And we've been really adamant to get pre-construction deposits and, you know, working through the design element of all of our projects. And one of them I missed, we, I don't know how, but it just didn't get happen. So my team's trying to do their time cards, but my controller's like, I'm not putting that into our signed contract deposit. And so anyways, just getting even, even years down the road, it's really easy to kind of miss something like that. And it's really important that we have the processes that we're, you know, checking this so that we don't, you know, end up on that position again, you know, down the road. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of moving parts. Having those systems definitely is a, a good safety net. So uh, what about training? You know, for your team, there's five of you. How do you handle continuing education training for them and yourself? <laughs> we, I love learning. I love it so much. And so we do put in a healthy annual budget for training for each employee and, um, Going to the international builder show is obviously always on our list because that's amazing. You get networking, you get classes and products and everything is there. Um, we don't have a setup system for training, like which courses we'll go to. So our superintendents just took one from the NAHB that came across. It was like a four year or a four week different class and but no, tell me what I'm supposed to do, Brad. What's your system? <laughs> you know, that's a good question. That's something that uh, that we've tried to spend some more time with. And, and I really didn't have a system, I'll be honest, even before. And then you realize how valuable continuing education is because what I've seen is that with our employees, there's more of a buy-in, right? When there's opportunity for them to learn and grow, that they, they really are committed and they see that um, that there's a goal. So you met Mark La Liberté, who was there at the last Coalition Summit. And we were fortunate to do Mark's house. And so I was talking with Mark and, you know, Mark is amazing in the sense that he, you know, he understands the details of flashing and waterproofing and just really the building science of a house. And, you know, because we're working on so many projects and so many different architects and designers, the specifications are different on every project. 
And so I, I had posted an Instagram story on one of my uh, projects and Mark calls me right away and he's like, Brad, that is not a good product, you know, for your, for the weather barrier. And even, um, it's kind of, it's, it's the only job that we're a consultant on. So we're not technically the general contractor we're a consultant we're hired on. So it's a little bit different regardless, notwithstanding, we want to make sure it's done right. And so we brought Mark in so that he can consult with us and get this result. And Mark's like, Brad, why don't I come in, teach your team? You know, we'll do like a two hour training and I'll walk them through everything. And then in addition to that, you know, he has his construction instructions. So I've sent some of my team, I'm going to send the rest of them. And so what I found is we just had a lunch and learn with one of our, our pool companies came in, you know, just speaking about um, pool construction and permits and we do pools on all of our homes. So what I found, Meg, is that what we've been trying to do now is as we do our production means we have trades come in and they're teaching and instructing because they have a lot of knowledge, right? They really do. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned, when you're learning out, Starting Meg, I mean, they're essentially training you on the schedule. And I think there's a lot they all have to offer. And, you know, from excavation all the way to completion. And so we've been trying to utilize our trade base in addition to, you know, just some of the seminars and um, not to go too long winded on you, but again, Fox Blocks, we do a lot of ICF. So Fox Blocks called me and they said, Brad, we're doing a seminar down there in May. So I'm sending like five of my team to go down, even though some of them have done ICF projects, they're going to go get a formal training from, from the supplier and ICF. So, you know, suppliers, trade partners have been good resources, resources for us to continue that for, um, for our team. I love that. I, I'm going to have to lean on a few of those resources. Yeah. And for you, it may be, I know it's different from market. I know Twin Falls may be a little bit smaller city, but I mean, I don't know, you know, as you think about community to Salt Lake or Boise, you know, I mean, there's, some others where I'm sure maybe a little bit more feasible, not too far away where, you know, bigger metro cities may have some different opportunities from some of your suppliers as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So what, how, how have you figured out the financial side? Not, not profit margin. We won't get into that, but I mean, <laughs> what, what are you using to manage, especially when you're dealing with specs investments, you know, there's going to be dollars and carrying costs and interest, and then you're doing build the suits. So there's that aspect of like owner billing, and then now you're doing development. I mean, you're dealing with a lot of complicated financial um, elements, right? To all these different companies and then trying to integrate them under the same umbrella. Yeah, totally. When I started, obviously, I didn't know how much soft it would cost or how much a total build would cost me. And so a lot of it's been learned by necessity and picking up what I could and Picking other builders' brains, like, so how much did you pay for the fence on that house? And trying to figure out even, like, just at the beginning, like, am I getting taken advantage of or is this an appropriate bid or um, those sort of things. And then we got into this, like, frenzy where it didn't matter. If you built it, you'd make money. And the longer it took you to build, you'd probably make more money because the prices just kept going up. And so I was able to get away with a little bit there without having um, my systems really cleaned up at the beginning. And then tracking finances has been huge. Um, my, my poor dad, he's an officially an accountant. I told you he did a lot of building, but accounting was his degree. And I had him come over and sit in my office. And I'm like, okay, tell me what I'm supposed to do in QuickBooks. And so that poor, poor old guy had to sit there for hours and just kind of go through like breaking things up as a project and how I can do um, project estimates in there and or budgets and tracking them and forecasting. Anyway, everything to do in, in there, which was a huge improvement. Like, knowing your numbers is such a big part of it. And I'm not the best at it yet, but just taking those steps. And then since then we've had uh, a bookkeeper come in and she's actually an accountant and she did the same thing and whipped me into shape. And then um, I actually got into a, a builder's 20, not in, but I'm going to my first meeting with them. So I'm having to fill oh, out that congrats. builder's 20 form. When is, when's Thanks. the meeting? Uh, May 7th. Wow. So just in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So I better get my game together before then. But no, it's it's just been awesome. And kind of that same progression as the rest of my learning, like 
we keep looking back on things we've done even six months ago and being like, oh, we were so cute then. Like, that's what we thought would get us to the next level. And um, yeah. And then uh, when everything shut down and nothing was selling, that was really hard and starting to really realize that need for projecting and monthly like mapping out all of the finances because we went for months there with no income because we were, uh, we have, we always kept one client at a time, but we had four specs on the market, nothing was moving. And so dealing with all of that and, I'll say I came into this. I'm like, I don't understand how a builder could get into trouble financially. Like, why would they ever overextend themselves or do anything like that? And you just, it's hard. Like you, you got to know in building, there's huge bills that come in and then there's quiet months and then huge, just massive bills. And so getting really good at projecting like what month this is going to land and how we can organize things, I think is a big deal. Yeah. It's, it's good perspective because it is easy when the economy's great, the market's great. You know, you're thinking that, yeah, it's going to be easy to make money. Everyone should be making money. And then things change. Interest rates go up. The leads maybe aren't, phone's not ringing, lead generation change. And so forecasting what's really hard about construction on those ebbs and flows. It could be great. It could be low, you're working too hard, you're not working enough. And so it's that balance you're always trying to figure out, which is the hardest part about our industry. Yeah. Yeah. That balance. And from your side, Meg, um, as you look through with the trades now, so I know for a long time, probably in your area, trades kind of had the upper hand, right? And response time and maybe site cleanliness. How's that change in their response quality? Do you see that changing at all or is it still a challenge? <laughs> Um, trades will always be a challenge, but oh man, it's a different game right now. I, the other day it was snowing like crazy and I called, uh, my project or my superintendent. I'm like, you got to get out there or get the kid out there. Like this needs to be shoveled off or our framers won't come. And so she's like getting the shovels, getting out there and the framers are out there just blowing it off. They're like, oh no, we'll take care of this. And I like, I got a little choked up if I'm going to be honest. Like how many <laughs> years did I have to go out there? Like it's just me and my seven-year-old kid trying to shovel this house out in time for the morning. So the framers won't just walk off. And so, yeah, I, I'd say it's changed quite, quite a bit. It's funny you say that because I was just talking with, uh, so Paul, one of my um, employees here, he, you know, he has a couple of projects and he was saying the hardest thing isn't, you know, he's like, you can be really organized to understand where I need to be during the day at which job I need to be at and, you know, the flow and everything. He's all, but what you can handle is when you're not at the job and someone's parked in the way that they're just like, well, I'm going to leave. I'm done. You know, or, you know, I got a paint bucket in my way. I'm out of here. Yeah. And it's that aspect where it's just this mentality like they're gone and you really have to like essentially roll out the red carpet form. But, you know, I'm, we're not at that point yet in Phoenix. You know, I'm hoping that it gets a little bit better that they – not so much hungry, but that that balance is a little bit level, but it sounds like it's getting a little more level for you. Yeah, it's it's definitely been a lot better. And saying that we want them hungry, it's, it's not even that. Like our trades were just exhausted. Like the ones that we trusted the most and like even them, it was hard to get them because they were just trying to, harvest while they could, I guess, and not turn down opportunities. And they were just running ragged. So I think our trades for the most part are feeling the same way as we are like, just super grateful to have our quality back, our craftsmanship and uh, that attention to detail that we just weren't getting because it was so quick. They needed to be in and out and trying to get them back was impossible. And so we're, we're feeling super grateful for it. And I think they are too. And we can do planning ahead. Like we're doing poll plans now, which we never would have gotten away with that a year ago. There's no way we could have gotten them to come and it's just making their life so much better. And they're super grateful. So I, I see a lot of bonus or positives on both sides. Yeah, that's good. I, I, I would agree. So many of them have been overworked for so long and they're just so exhausted because it's been three years of just nonstop, mm -hmm. right? That just building's been, um, 
you know, on fire on a national level. And so supply chain, suppliers are exhausted, trades are exhausted. <laughs> I think our team is. And so, you know, just monitoring that mental health of everybody has been really key. Yeah. Yes, for sure. So what for you, Meg, you know, as you look back now, you know, what do you wish you would have known at the beginning that you know today? Oh, I, oh, at the beginning, there's, are you kidding, Brad? If you were to start I over, everything. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, if you were to start over, maybe it's, you know, whether it be marketing, I know you're super active in marketing, you know, how has that played a role oh, just in being active on social media? Um, it's been huge. I, it's hard to be an active company right now in anything if you don't have a social media presence. And I'm the first to tell you, I, I hate social media, like from a personal aspect, my own page has like seven posts, which I know, I know I'm supposed to get that going if I want things to get going, but not really. Cause I don't have a personal page and same thing. We don't have a ton of content on our personal one either. Really? Oh, good. Yeah. So I don't, I don't do anything on my personal one. I mean, I guess on LinkedIn I do, but that's different. Yeah. I'm going to tell everyone who gives me that advice that they don't know what they're talking about. And I'm going to be like, Brad. <laughs> well, don't use me as an example, but at least you could tell them that, yeah, they, you know, the, the business aspect is really important. The personal, like that's, that's out for discussion for sure. So, yeah, no, we've loved it though. A client's being able to see it. Like it just really legitimizes you as a business. Um, and I don't know that it's bringing us a lot of clients, but I think it's closing a lot of clients for us. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that's a really good statement that it may not, even if it's not bringing a business, it's closing them, right? Because mm -hmm. there's still that element, which is part of the sales process. Um, best advice you've been given? Oh, I, the only limitations are the ones you set up in your own mind is a quote from Napoleon Hill, but Tyler always uses that. And I, I totally agree. And I find myself doing that, like whatever limitations that I'm going to set for myself, that's where I'll max out. That's, that will be my ceiling. And so getting rid of those and looking to the future and getting around people like an AFT where they blew past that ceiling that I had in my mind and doing things differently. So I, th I think that's really good advice and maybe good advice that I need. And then Meg, for those listening, you know, um, being sensitive to your time and schedule, um, what's upcoming and exciting and where can our listeners find you? Oh, upcoming and exciting. We do have a house right now that I am completely stoked for. It's a geothermal house. So everything. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. It's 8,000 square feet, like two layers of glass on one side, right on the river. And the geothermal spring comes in and it will completely fill the pool every single day, cycle through. It's heating the house. It's heating the driveway. It's just um, something that's going to be super exciting for the portfolio. How, how did you get um, involved in that? Um, a friend of a friend recommended us. And so they were looking at other builders in the area and Honestly, it's the client side or the customer service side, I think, that closed that deal on most of ours. Like they they want someone that's excited about something different like that and willing to put in the time and willing to, yeah, put in that that extra effort. What does that look like for you just from a educational understanding, you know, working with the right engineers, you know, your involvement just in something that's on that more complicated side? Yeah, we have been putting in a lot of phone calls and uh, the client actually has a lot of experience with it and doesn't want to be left out of it either, which is kind of cool. And so, yeah, we've been bringing in different engineers and even the excavation is going to be kind of crazy because it's a sheet of rock. And if you put a weak spot in that rock, that water flow is going to change direction. And so a lot of consideration and time is going to have to go into that one. Well, that's amazing. I, we can't wait to follow along. This would be an impressive bill. So where, where can we follow along and where can our listeners find you? Um, we're on Instagram at Meg Construction and our website's megconstruction.com. Well, Meg, you've been amazing. Can't thank you enough for making time and uh, we look forward to following along. Awesome. Brad, thank you so much for having me. We really appreciate it. And it's been a blast. 
If you give value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favorite ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes, please share those as well. Again, subscribe, make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support and we'll see you next time.